relationship with them. Tell them that they're welcome at our home. And so give that key code away. Tell them our address and about us and then, and then go. Now, can you imagine the next day? You know, I, 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 drive, I drive to church, I pull up in the parking lot, and I look over in the village and parking lot, there's a homeless person sleeping in a uh, sleeping bag, and he's trying to stay warm. It's freezing out. I'm like, wow, you know what? He, would, he could really use Jack and Linda's house. That, I, I should go give him the front door code. Oh, but I'm running late on my meeting. You know what? I'm going to go in, and I'm going to tell him when I go to lunch. Okay, so I go in, I have my meetings, I check my emails, I go out for lunch, and I look, and he's gone. So I miss my opportunity. He doesn't have a warm place to stay. I drive to none other than Chick-fil-A, obviously. So I'm there at Chick-fil-A having a delicious lunch, right, and uh, enjoying it. And I hear behind me there's a couple, a married couple, that's on the fringe of divorce. Uh, there's been adultery. Uh, it's just hard. It's hard. They try to work it out. They've worked at it, but it just feels hopeless. And so they've, they've, they're resolving in that moment to separate. And I think, just behind me, man, I should just lean over and tell them about Jack and Linda. They would love spending time with them. And I bet Jack and Linda could help them redeem their relationship and, and, and work towards trust and reconciliation. They would, they would love Jack and Linda but I don't want to be awkward, and I don't, I don't know. I'm a little bit ashamed and afraid. I don't know. It could be weird. I, I just won't. And so I go upon my day. I go back to the office, have some meetings, do stuff, and I get home from work, and I drive in, and as I pull in, I see my neighbors, and there's two Mormon missionaries talking to my neighbors. And that's odd. Walk in, play with my kids, hang out for a little bit, and about 15, 20 minutes later, I walk out, peek out the front door, and those Mormon missionaries are still talking to my neighbors. Man, maybe they're Maybe they're really thinking about this whole Mormon thing. That, w- that wouldn't be good. Man, that, okay. And, and so, uh, um, so that wouldn't be good. Maybe I should go talk. You know what? Jack and Linda. They would be amazing. I could give Jack their, their address and their front door code, and then afterwards they could talk to Jack and Linda because Jack and Linda know the way to life. They know the real truth. They would be amazing to talk to. They know it. That'd be great, but uh, I also don't want to intrude or be pushy, and it could just be, I don't know. And so, you know what? I'm going to wait until they come to me. If they ask me, then I'll tell them Jack and Linda's front door code and Sunday. then. Maybe we'll check the mail at the same time or something like that. And so we put our kids to bed. Later that night, Jack gives me a call. Hey, Austin, how you doing, brother? I'm uh, doing all right, Jack. How are you? Hey, we, we, the house is warm. We got the bed made fresh. Man, Linda made her famous chicken noodle soup. Who's coming over? Kind of guilty. I go, Jack, I, I got to be honest, man. I, I didn't give your key, key code out to anybody today. This morning with the homeless man, I was too busy. And at Chick-fil-A with the crumbling marriage, I was too ashamed. And at, at dinner tonight, I, I looked out with my neighbors, and I was just too afraid of being too direct. And so I'm so sorry, Jack. I didn't give your front door code out to anybody. Maybe I'm not the right person for the job. He responds, that's nonsense. Man, tomorrow, guess what? The key code's still going to work. We're still going to have a warm bed, and we're going to still have chicken noodle soup. Okay, so tomorrow's going to be better. I'm sure we'll get some people. Now, Jack his, does give his key code out a lot. That's a true story. He's never asked me to give his front door code out, although you do know it now, okay? Congrats, Jack. 800 plus people can get into your door, okay? Uh, and, uh, and so anyways, um, Linda, make a lot of chicken noodle. Okay, I sent her a text. Um, But what if I told you, City Light, what if I told you that you have a key code that doesn't just unlock a house with a warm bed and some chicken noodle soup? What if I told you that you have a key that actually can free somebody from spiritual slavery, 
that you have a key that can redeem marriages and, and, and rescue lost sinners to God? What if I told you that you have the key that could ignite faith in somebody that would, that would awaken them and fulfill them and satisfy their searching hearts? What if I told you you have that key? And what if I told you that the, that the advancement and growth and health of our church, City Light, is determined by how you and I give away that key? Wouldn't you want to know that key and go, let's do it. Let's, let's get this thing rolling. So the main point I want to see in Matthew 16 is that the key to, get, to building Jesus' church is giving the keys away. The key to building Jesus' church is giving the keys away. So let's jump in. Let's just look verse by verse. First thing, I'm sure you're probably wondering, okay, Austin, well, what's the key? We're going to find that out. Verse 13. Now, when Jesus came in the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked the disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Who do people say that I am? Now, um, they, they kind of give a generic answer. It's kind of like a different uh, darts, you know, in, in the dark, just kind of throwing them like, oh, you know, John the Baptist or Elijah or maybe a prophet. I, I, but they're just going, here's some rumors we've heard. heard. Here's some opinions p- people have of you. Maybe it could be this or that, right? And, and so I love, though, the next statement that Jesus says. He goes, okay. Um, but who do you say that I am? And City Light, I think Jesus might be asking you that this morning. Who do you say that I am? I know you've heard rumors. I've know, I've, I know that you've heard other things, but I want to ask you this morning, who do you say that Jesus is? Jesus is asking, who do you say that I am? Now, it's personal, right? It's not what other people think or what you can recite from growing up and doing a wanna when you were little. Like, it's personal to you. A friend told me that God doesn't have any grandchildren, and it was profound. Think about that for a second. Like, some of y'all are, like, banking on getting to heaven, and God's like, hey, you're Lois's kid. Sure am. Well, come on in, bud. Yeah, it's like, okay, cool. It's like, no, 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 you're not God's grandchild. Like, you're not his child because your mom, no, like, he's offering you to be his son or his daughter personally, right? Not because your parents love Jesus or your friend or your brothers and sisters, but you personally. So know that your belief in Jesus is not determined by what other people think about him, what your friend, your boyfriend or girlfriend or significant other, your spouse, he's asking specifically, who do you personally say that I am? And so I want to give you a moment right now, actually a few seconds, to think about how you'd answer that question. Who do you say that Jesus is? No. (laughs) Pretty good answer. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) No. No, he ain't what other people think. He's what I think, okay? Um, It's amazing. Who do you say that Jesus is? Honestly, give that a thought. Like, actually play that out in your mind. Who do you say Jesus is? Now, there are a lot of opinions on who Jesus is, right? A lot of people think a lot of different things about Jesus. Um, Maybe even in this room, right? Uh, When I was in college ministry in Omaha, we went to UNO, uh, the campus, and we went to the middle uh, of the the epicenter of the campus, and we had these big boards, and at the top of them, they just said, Jesus is, dot, dot, dot. And it was a big board, and we just gave people pieces of chalk, and they were just going to write down. We said, hey, will you just write down who you think Jesus is? And there was 
a massive variety of answers. There's really good ones. Like, he's Lord and Savior and merciful King and lover of my soul and kind of Redeemer and all these ones, right? And there was ones like fraud and fake and among other gods. Or, or I mean, there was all these sorts of different things that, that people thought about Jesus. It was amazing. And it sparked some really interesting conversation. And by the way, church, I love this question. If we would lead with this question, I think our conversation would go very different. Who do you say Jesus is? to other people, right? Because oftentimes we go, hey, do you go to church? And like things pop up in people's head, right? Hey, are you a Christian? And then things pop up in their head about Christians. One of the problems about the church and Christianity is that a lot of people have bad connotations with those two words, right? Well, man, the church kicked me out years ago. And, 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 you know, you think of the church, oh, it's boring, and they just want my money, and, and, and I don't know, it's a country club for good people, and I'm not that, you know what I mean? Or Christians, man, they're judgmental. And they're condescending, and they're hurtful. And this one Christian did, and he didn't live that way, and she didn't, and you know what I mean? And you have all those connotations, but if you cut to the point, go, no, no, no. I'm not asking what you think about the church or Christians. I'm asking you what you think about Jesus. It's a whole nother conversation. Oh, yeah. So don't, don't take in your church experience. Don't take in your experience with Christians. I want, you to, I want to ask you specifically what you believe about Jesus, right? Um, now, what you need to know is that what you believe about Jesus largely determines how you follow him. Okay, so 85% of Americans in our country um, believe that Jesus was a historical person. So they're like, yeah, he's real, just like George Washington was or Napoleon or whatever. Um, Muslims believe in Jesus. He's actually in the Quran, but not as savior as a prophet. Okay, so very different. And so listen, how, what you believe about Jesus determines how you follow him. So if you believe he's a good teacher well, then you'll commit your life to studying what he said and learning it. If you believe he's got good ideas, well, then you'll contemplate his ideas among, uh, amongst other good ideas. If you believe Jesus was a good example, then you'll try your best to live your life like Jesus lived his life. My question for you this morning that you have to wrestle with is, is that enough? Is it enough to generally believe in Jesus? Like, yeah, he could be a prophet. He could be a good example. I don't know. He could be God. I don't, is it enough to generally believe in Jesus? Does that key fit? Now, C.S. Lewis, uh, author of Chronicles of Narnia, brilliant mind, was a very against Jesus and came to trust in him. Amazing, brilliant mind in the faith. And he made an argument that, um, that a lot of people say when you ask him, what do you think about Jesus? And if you ask that question, you'll probably hear this. He's a good person. I don't really have anything wrong with him. You know, I think he did some good things. I think he had some good ideas. He cared for people. I really admire that. And C.S. Lewis says, no, 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 no. You actually don't get the option to call Jesus a good person. He's either one of three things. He's either a liar, he's a lunatic, or he's Lord. But he's not, you can't say he's a good person. He's either a a liar, a lunatic, or Lord. And so just to draw this out, um, he could be a liar. And so to be clear, throughout the Gospels, Jesus did claim to be God. You do not crucify a good man. You make him mayor, okay? You crucify a dude that's saying he's God and he's not, okay? That, like, that's the, you crucify the person who's claiming to be God, right? And so maybe Jesus knew that he wasn't, but he liked the attention. He liked to ruffle some feathers. He knew in his soul, yeah, I'm not, but I just want to, and he's living into that, and he's just kind of playing this game with people's minds. Maybe he was a liar, or maybe he could be a lunatic, Like, maybe he's not trying to play games. Maybe he actually was convinced in himself that he was God. The Son of God came to save people. Like, maybe he believed that he was the Messiah. And if that's true, but he's not God, then he's a lunatic. Like, if there's someone in the church that stands up like, actually, I just want to, I'm God. You know, it's like, hey, guys, we'd be like, 
Mo, handle that. You know, it's like, <laughs> Mo, take that person out. Like, please. You know, it's like, not okay. Right? Um, uh, and, and so it's like, he could be a lunatic. And he doesn't, deserve, if that's true, if he's not God, but he's claimed to be God, then he does not deserve to be Lord of your life. He deserves to be in a mental institute. Okay? Or... Maybe he's not a liar. Maybe he's not a lunatic. Maybe he actually is who he says he is. Maybe he's Lord, right? Maybe he actually is God that came to us to rescue us from our sins. So this is what C.S. Lewis says to conclude that. He says, you have to make a choice. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. And so you can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But you cannot say he's just a good man. He's a liar, he's a lunatic, or he's Lord. And so City Light, who do you say that Jesus is? And so here's Peter's response. Here's how he answers the question. Verse 16, Peter goes, um, replies, well, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. You're the Christ, the son of the living God. So uh, this is his answer, and he separates it in two points. Number one, you're the Christ. What does that mean? Christ is another word for Messiah, and you're like, that didn't help. Yeah, well, okay, uh, uh, Messiah is like the coming one, the awaited hero, the long-anticipated rescuer that would come for us. And so listen, so many people are convinced that this whole book right here, like all the Old Testament, is just an account of really good people that really follow God well. And I would beg you to read it and see otherwise. This is not a book of faithful people. This is a book of failing people loved by a faithful God, okay? So it's not like all the Old Testament is a consistent anticipation. To be honest, it's tragic. To be honest, it's sad reading the Old Testament because you think maybe it'll be David. No, he messed up. Maybe Moses is the guy. No, what about Joshua? All of them. What about Esther? All failed all broken, all flawed, no perfect person, no savior that they had been looking for since the inception of man and the fall of man. None of them made it. And so it's this constant anticipation. I have a friend that said, hey, uh, talk to a Jewish family. He said, I want to talk to you about Jesus, but I only want to use the scriptures that you and I agree on. What do you mean? I don't even need the New Testament to talk about Jesus. Let's just look at the Old Testament. Really? Jews agree on the Old Testament. Okay, flip to Isaiah 53. If you've taken notes, jot that chapter down and read it on your own this week. It's amazing. You're like, oh my gosh, this is Jesus. Like, this is Jesus. How could you not see that it's him? He was pierced for our transgressions. And that sounds kind of similar. He, he, uh, by his wounds, we have been healed. Man, that sounds like Jesus. He was led to slaughter like a sheep, just silent. It's like, this, this, this is like literally predicting what would happen to Jesus. He plays it out. It's amazing. And so know that this whole book is leading up to one hero. It's a search for him. And in Jesus's birth, it's the final culmination of it. The hero, the king has arrived, the Christ, the long-awaited Messiah. It's beautiful, right? Um, Matthew 1, the whole genealogy leads up to who? Jesus. And then he says that you're the son of the living God. That's the other thing. Now, I think we could probably read this in modern day and go, oh, oh, I get it. It's like the assistant to the regional manager. Like, that's who you sent. Like, the ma- you couldn't send the manager out, so you sent the assistant to the regional manager, okay? Oh, I get it. No, no, no. This isn't a JV God. This isn't like God's like, man, I'm busy. I got some other things. Uh, G- hey, you mind? Yeah, you're not busy. Okay, go. You know, it's like, no, no, no. The son of the living God is God in flesh coming to us. 
That's what it means by son. So he's not going, this is a JV God. This is a less God. He's going, I know it's Trinity. You're three now. We're going to talk about the Trinity, okay? <laughs> You're like, wait, wait, we talked about the Trinity before, but we're growing up, okay? Uh, and so it's like, no, this is God in flesh coming on mission for us, right? So John 1 puts it this way. In the beginning was the word, God, right? Uh, and the word was with God and the word was God. So Jesus has existed together with the Father and the Spirit for all of eternity. And the Son is the one who came and expressed God to us and came to save us. So he's the Son of the living God. Hebrews 1 puts it this way. He says, the Son is the exact radiance of God's glory, the exact imprint of his nature, this idea of like, it's the same fingerprints, the same DNA that comes through. And so John 20, verse 31 says this. John says, the whole purpose of my book is these are written so that you would believe that Jesus is the Christ, long-awaited hero, and the son of the living God. And that by believing, you may have life in his name. Okay? That by believing, you may have life in, the, in his name. Friends, this is the gospel. This is what our church is built on. This is what the whole Bible talks about and leads up to, this truth that Jesus really is the Christ, that he is the son of the living God, that we can believe in him and be saved. Not by works, not by anything. And so notice what it says. So that you, um, uh, or, yeah, John 20, um, that you would believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and that by behaving, you may have a life in his name. Hold on. Wait, it doesn't say that. Oh, but a lot of us act like that, Right? well, I got I to gotta do this. I got to get this ready. And you know, I'm, I don't know if I've, I'm okay with God right now because I haven't been good. I haven't behaved. It's like, no, no, no. It doesn't say that by behaving, you can have life. By believing. Like that's the beauty of the free gift of grace that we get an eternal relationship with God by belief, not by behavior. Behavior comes, God changes us, but not before he saves our heart, right? So that flows out of it. So this is the gift. So if you're in the room and you haven't believed in Jesus, you haven't trusted in him and you're trying to behave, stop. Behavior, it's a waste that's never going to earn favor with God. He's inviting you into simple belief in him. What does belief mean? It's a soul-level conviction. I'm not interested in what you can recite from catechism when you were little or from Awanas. I'm asking you what you personally believe about Jesus at a soul level, not just a head level. What are you convicted of? What would you bank your life on? Oh, he's, Christ, he's the Christ. Jesus is the son of the living God. Praise God. He invites you into, his, into relationship with him forever more, right? And I love verse 17. He continues after what Peter said. He goes, um, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, that's Peter. Um, so you're right. He goes, bingo. And he says, for flesh and blood is not revealed this to you, but my father who's in heaven. He just goes, I want you to know that you got the right answer, but you didn't figure it out on your own. You didn't get there on your own. I showed you. My father opened your eyes. So believer in the room, I actually want you to take a moment, if, if you've trusted in Jesus, and just praise God that he has opened up your blind eyes to see his beauty, that he has resurrected your dead heart to have life in him. I want you to praise God that he's done that. You didn't figure it out. You didn't find your way and stumble upon God. He broke into your life intentionally and found you. That's what he's saying here. That's the good news of his gospel. Okay, I'm liking this right here. I'm liking this right here. Give me some heat right here. I'm going to start sweating. I'm going to start sweating, too. We're going. Okay, this is my little spot right here. Get on their level, guys. <laughs> um, but here's what I want to say. This is heartbreaking. How many different keys have we tried to use to find that life that he's talking about? 
Hey, believing you'd have life in him, how many different keys? The world says, oh, man, relationships. Once you get that marriage, oh, it's going to be great, right? You can take nice pictures together, engagement, weddings going to be beautiful. You get that video going, all that. And I love my wife to death. My wife is beautiful way more than I deserve. But listen, she's a sinful human being, and so am I. And we do not have a perfect relationship. And I've had to, we've had to painfully discover that we cannot make each other God and that we don't find life in each other, right, because we fail each other. Oh, okay, and you realize that in marriage, and then you go, okay, step two, let's go have kids, right? Kids will be great. Now, my daughter is adorable, okay? She is sassy as all get out. And my son is the sweetest. He's seven months. He's so cute. But they're sinful, and they're disobedient, and I can't find my life in him, in them. And listen, um, one of the, the crazy things about being a parent is that they grow up one day, and they, they, they go on their own. Empty nesters, you're like, don't you dare. That's a raw spot in my heart right now. Don't you talk about that. I'm going to have to start crying. But it's real. They get 18, and they grow up, and they go to college, and they move out. And then they get married and start their own family. And if you're banking your life on him, on them, you're going to be sad and broken. I banked my life on you, and then now you have a new life. You can't do that either. Well, well, okay, maybe that's not true. What about success? I'll get that job I've been working so hard for, go to college. I'll get that job, that corner office, and you get there, and you're like, this is it? Well, that really wasn't. Maybe the next promotion. Or, a, a or, or money. We've tried to make big in money. Oh, but you're constantly concerned. Am I investing enough? Was this right? What if that fails? I don't know. I've never met a person in my life that's been like, you know what? I don't want any more money. I don't want to get paid more. <laughs> Boss is like, hey, I want to let you know, Jimmy. You getting a bonus. No, thanks. You can keep it. <laughs> I'm going to give you a 5% raise this year. No, I like a 0% raise. I'm good with where I'm at. Like, I've never met anybody that's done that. You know what I mean? It's like, we're like, oh, thank you for the bonus. I got to pay my credit card. You know, like, we spent it before we got it. It's like money doesn't work either because there's always something more that we want. Nothing. Like, it just doesn't work. I sat, with a, um, I sat with a man this last week who's, like, successful more than you can imagine. Like, we had dinner, and he just started, he just started a brand-new relationship with Jesus. It's amazing, okay? And he, and he sat, and he's so successful, he doesn't even do what he was successful in. He literally travels the world, and he talks to other successful people on how to be more successful, okay? That's that kind of guy, right? Has everything. Beautiful kids, wife, home, everything. And we're sitting down eating, and he goes, and I'm like, what's going on? Why, why are you interested in Jesus? And he said, because I wake up every morning and my heart's heavy. And I had chills when he told me that. And I'm like, dude, you have everything that we're striving for. You've got it all. What do you mean your heart's heavy? It doesn't fulfill. And he literally told me, I know I have a hole in my heart that only Jesus can fill. And I've put everything else in there and it hasn't done it. And it's still empty. And I need him. And I was like, you're, you're right. You know, it's, but so it's like, we've tried every other key and we won't find life there. And so I'm begging you, friends, this is the real key. Jesus, believing he's the Christ, the long-awaited hero, the Savior, and he's the Son of God, God himself on mission for us. Not just God sending a hero, but God himself as the hero for you and I. So what's the key, City Light? Believing in who Jesus really is. That's the key. Believing in who Jesus really is. Now my question for you in transition is what are you going to do with the keys that you've been given? What are you going to do with the key you've been given? So let's continue. Verse 18. He goes, Jesus goes, I tell you, you're Peter, and on this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Okay, so a couple things we need to help define and understand. Now, this has been one of the most controversial verses for the last 2,000 years. This verse right here, okay? I'm 27. I'm probably not going to explain it right, but I'm going to try my best, okay? No, um, studied, read a, a lot of people far smarter than me, prayed, felt like I had clarity from God. Now, what's unique is that if you grew up Catholic, this verse has been used to, um, a, as a way of Jesus instating Peter as the first pope. 
and that it's continued to go. Hey, and it's weird because Peter and rock sound similar. They're like the same kind. They would like rhyme in the, in the original language. So it kind of sounds like, hey, you're rock, and on this rock I'm going to build my church. So it makes sense they would think that, right? Peter preaches in Acts 2. It's pretty amazing. But let me just explain a little bit more about Peter. If you flip down, if you just look down literally in your Bible, verse 23, Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You're a hindrance for me. Oh, I thought I was the Pope. What do you call me, Satan now? You know, it's like, okay, I'm a little confused. Like, I thought I was the Pope, and then now I'm Satan, and I don't know where to land. You know what I mean? It's like, okay. And then you get a few chapters later, and Peter denies Jesus three different times. Peter denies Jesus three different times. So he's broken God's law. He's after that installment, hey, you're my rock, he's broken. And then you're like, okay, well, Jesus resurrected and he instated Peter and it was great. That's true. He restored him. It's awesome. But then as the church continues to grow, um, Peter has wrong theology and has to be rebuked for it. Like he literally has to be rebuked. It's basically racism, okay? Peter has to be rebuked. So he's a fallible man that's broken and he's not perfect. And then in Acts 15, the next 13 chapters of Acts, the building and the, pro- and the proclamation of the church, Peter isn't mentioned once after Acts 15. So 13 chapters. So listen, if Peter's the rock that the church is built on, don't you think Peter would have been mentioned in those 13 chapters? My best conclusion is that Peter's not the rock. That can't be what Jesus is saying. He's not the person that Jesus is building his church on. And let me tell you why that's really good news, okay? The church is not built on a pastor or a personality or a pope or any other person other than Jesus, right? And, 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 it's, and it's like, no, no, if the church were to be built on a person, they would rise or fall on the talent charisma of that leader, right? Which produces a fragile church that's always inconsistent. And the church has tried to do this for 2,000 years, especially today. Hey, why do you, why do you go to church? Oh man, you got to hear this pastor preaching. It is so good. He's so funny and he's so engaging and relevant. It's awesome. Oh, oh, cool. Hey, why do you, why do you go, uh, why do you, why do you go to church? Oh man, this worship leader is about 115 pounds. Got a red little beard. He's great. Sings the right songs. (laughs) I love you, Jeremy, wherever you are. (laughs) 120, driven wet, bro. Uh, Anyways, (laughs) wish I had his genetics. Uh, Anyways, but guess what happens? Guess what happens when the pastor retires or transitions? The church dwindles. People leave and the church dwindles. Guess what happens when that favorite worship leader chooses a different job and leaves? The ch- people leave and the church dwindles. If the church is built upon a man, it will eventually fail, right? If it's not Jesus. And it's crazy because it's like, it's like we're trying to build the church on the franchise quarterback model right? Like we're trying to make the church like Tom Brady and the Patriots. And if you're familiar with the Tom Brady and the Patriots, Tom Brady's arguably the best quarterback that's ever played the game. You may not like him as a person. You got to like him as a player. Nonetheless, he's amazing. Six Super Bowl rings, holds the record. He has led the Patriots to arguably the best dynasty, not just in our time, but maybe all time in sports. He is going down the history books. He's a legend. And he's probably not going to play for the Patriots next year. And the Patriots fans are scared. And they should be. What are we going to do? Our star quarterback that's carried our team isn't going to be with us anymore. What are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to win? Are we even going to make the playoffs? And the church has done this same thing for thousands of years. You get your dynasty preacher. You get your great personality. Let's build the church around him. And then it's great. And then once he's gone, then it's you're scrambling to try and find someone to keep it afloat and maintain it. That's not the way the church is supposed to be built. That's not what Jesus is saying. No. Um, and so have you ever wondered why Mo and I rotate preaching 
It's like, it's not one dominant preacher and why we have other people preach. Just so you know, it's not because we get tired of preaching. We love preaching. It's because we will not build this church like a franchise quarterback. We will not. Like, I don't want you to come because I'm preaching or most preaching or anyone else. I want you to come because, come because this is being preached, that the gospel is being preached. It's like, man, we don't care whose mouth it comes from. We just want to make sure it's pointing to the gospel and that it's teaching the Bible. Like, that's all, you know? And so we're, we'll refuse to build a church around that. I'm convinced, God forbid, that I would die tragically, but I'm convinced that if I did, the church would go on without a skip. There are a lot of churches that you could not say that. And I'm going, Jesus, don't let us be built on any man besides you, besides you, Jesus. So the rock that Jesus builds his church on is not Peter or a pope or a talented pastor. Now, notice in the conversation what it's all leading up to. It's all leading up to finding out who Jesus really is. Hey, who, who, do, you, who do they say I am? Well, who do you say I am? Well, Peter says, this, who, this is who Jesus is. Jesus' response says, blessed are you, Peter. That's right, who you said I am. So the best conclusion on who, the, what this rock is, is the proper understanding of who Jesus is. The rock that he's talking about is the proclamation of who Jesus is. That's what the church is built on. So the church was created and is continued on the confession of Christ. That's the rock, the proclamation of who Jesus really is that can come from any man or any woman. And so the rock that Jesus builds his church on is not the personality of a fallible man. It's not. It's on the proclamation of a faithful Messiah, right? The church is not built on fancy lights or a nice building or charismatic leaders or a perfect location. The church is, always has been, always will be built by God using ordinary people to explain and expand the uh, extraordinary gospel. That's what the church is built on. Amen? Amen. That's what the church is built on. Jesus goes, listen, I'm going to build my church um, um, and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. So question, who's going to build the church? Jesus will. He's the lead architect. He says, I will build my church. Lead architect and the general contractor, okay? And whose church is it? My church. I'll build my church. It's Jesus's. And what is the church? Well, that word there is ecclesia. You'll learn some Greek today. Ecclesia. Now, to break that word up, ek means out of, and kaleo, the end, means to call. So the literal translation of what he's saying the church is, is called out ones. Ecclesia, called out ones. So we are called out of the kingdom of darkness, the sinful world, this broken, futile world, and we're called into a relationship with Jesus into his eternal, unfailing mission and family. Okay, so the best way to understand the church, Ecclesia, is a family on mission connected by Jesus. We're called out of the world and called into mission. So hear me say this. We don't go to church. We are the church. Okay? We don't go to church. We are the church. So here's the good news of that. Is this an awesome building? Yeah, praise God but we could move and it would be no less city light, right? Like, I love this building, but the Old Testament way of the temple is gone. You are now the temple. The Holy Spirit, the presence of God does not live in a building. It lives in you, okay? So here's the good news. City light Lincoln Church does not exist just at 9 and 11 a.m. on Sundays. It exists at 8 p.m. on Wednesday night at your home. It exists on Thursday night in your dorm. It exists Saturday morning getting donuts. Like, city light Lincoln Church 
forever exists and is functioning because of you going out. So we do not, we, uh, we don't go to church. We are the church. And so listen, we say this consistently. You don't leave the church when you walk out these doors. You leave as the church. You're going as a representation of Jesus and our church to go out to proclaim the gospel, give keys away to everyone you meet. So we say we're a simple church. We gather on Sundays as a collective family, big reunion, and then we scatter through the week in little families and city groups, right? Now, Jesus says he's going to build this church, right? It's good news, amazing news. We've seen it happen. But unfortunately, the stats don't seem to agree. So here's some stats with some research. 4,000 churches every single year die. 4,000. And only 1,000 start. So friends, we're losing 3,000 churches every single year, okay? Um, Church attendance for the last 10 years has declined 10%, while U.S. population has grown 10%. This is staggering and heartbreaking, especially for a church like us. 64% of young adults from 18 to 29 who grew up in the church have left the church. So if you grew up in the church, friend, if you're a young adult, you're a miracle. You're the minority if you're in this room and you're 18 to 29. In our country, you are a miracle by God's grace that he has brought you here. That's not the norm across the world. 70% of churches are declining or have plateaued. Only 30% of churches in the U.S. are growing. And listen to this. Only 4% of churches that exist and will exist will plant. 4% of churches will ever multiply outside of themselves. 4%. By God's grace, he's grown us to that. So here's the question that must stir. Hey, wait, wait. With churches declining and dying so often, why is our church growing, right? What's, what's happening with our church, right? And you may be tempted to go, well, the leaders are great, and the energy in this room and the location and the mission, but you are dead wrong. It's none of those. That's not the reason God has given us growth. We get calls, Mo and I get calls all over from people going, hey, what's happening in City Light? What are you guys doing? Like, hey, tell me. Uh, The church is dying and your church is growing. Young adults are fleeing the church and they're flocking to be the church where where you guys are. What are you doing? They're kind of looking for the secret sauce, right? Hey, what's so special about City Light? I don't know if you know this, but by God's grace, we planted two new churches in our city. Is that crazy? Like there's a new church publicly launching in North Lincoln today because of God's grace and your generosity to go and send. It's amazing. Another church in South Lincoln that's meeting new people, new leaders that are proclaiming the gospel in a new part of our city. And Fort Collins is planting. City Light Fort Collins is planting later this year. Crazy grace, right? And, And the best way that I can kind of understand the church and how it functions and leaders is like the U.S. is like this big pond. And all the leaders, you know, Jesus says we're fishermen, so we all got our our poles in the water. And there's one church that's like catching a bunch. Like lots of people are coming to faith, lots of people are going. And then all of us go, okay, sweet. We run over, we grab our notepads, we uh, we get ready, and and we're at this conference, and we're going, teach us what you're doing. What what are you putting on the lure? What's the bait? And so we write, okay, I know, irrelevant. Okay, cool, that sounds great. And then we come back, and we go, okay, and we put all the new fancy stuff on, and we throw it in, and we don't get anything. And we're like, what's going on? I just listened to that. This doesn't work. And, and it's like, and so it's like all the leaders are just so hungry to find out what's the special thing, what's the ingredient, what's the secret sauce. And I want to show you Matthew 16 and go, there is no secret sauce. Like it's, the secret sauce isn't secret. And the new movement here is not new to God. Like City Light is not growing because of great leaders or a sweet location or a fun mission statement or a good church or a good building. City Light Lincoln has grown because God promised to grow it. That's the only reason. Like he, that, that's it. And you would not believe how underwhelming those phone calls are with those guys. To be honest, bro, I don't have five steps to grow your church. 
preach the gospel, that's all we're doing, and, and invite people to do it too. Give them the key and tell them to give it away, right? And God just, grow, it's just, it's wild, right? And so um, a friend of mine told me, listen, if you could explain it, then it wouldn't be an act of God. In other words, if you could go, oh yeah, let me tell you, okay, we done five things right, and here they are, and take notes. It would be like you figured the secret sauce out and you're doing it right. No, no, you know what, you know what happens when Mo and I just go, we honestly don't have an answer for you. Jesus gets the glory. To be honest, bro, Matthew 16 just said that Jesus is going to build this church and he's doing it. Nothing super special about our leadership or our church. God's just doing what he promised to do 2,000 years ago. And we're banking on it and we're giving him all the glory, right? We don't have fancy lights or an elaborate building. We don't have a fog machine or super creative slides. Why? Not just because we don't have the budget, but because we want the only thing for you to be here. The only reason for you to be here is the gospel. The only thing that you would remember, right? Jesus gets the glory. And in verse 19, I love this. This is key. This is where the whole kind of emphasis in the message is. He goes, listen, Peter, you're Peter. Or, uh, verse 19, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. I'll give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, right? And he goes, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Uh, loosed, free is the same kind of synonymous thing. And so a lot of people have understood this. Oh, okay, is Peter standing at the pearly gates? He's got the keys to heaven. He's like, hi, who are you? Why should I let you in? Nope, not what he's saying. That's not, and look what he says. He goes, hey, whatever you, he's talking about what you do on earth with the keys, not what he's waiting with the keys in heaven, okay? He goes, hey, whatever you bind on earth or loose on earth. So Peter's job with these keys is not what he's doing in heaven, it's what he's doing with them on earth, okay? So he's not waiting in heaven ready to let you in. That's not what this is saying. And, um, and he's inviting you into it. So the keys, the, again, the keys are the rock that we talked about. The proclamation of who Jesus really is, this is what it's built on. And this is not just to Peter, this is to every believer. Hey, Peter, hey, Marissa, hey, Nate, hey, Morgan, hey, Mallory, you get the keys to the kingdom. Go give them away. And he goes, whatever you bind is bound. Whatever you loose is loosed. Free, you're free, right? And so he's going, as you proclaim the gospel, you're proclaiming freedom in Jesus. The people could actually be freed from sin and freed to eternal relationship. You can proclaim that. And if they accept it, then what's loosed is loose. They're free from their sin forevermore in heaven. But if they reject it, then they're bound in their sin. That's just what it is. Like if you reject Jesus, that's just what it is. He goes, this is the keys that you have to give out. So listen, your relationship is 100% personal. We just covered that. But know that it's not private. That's not what it is. And if you understand who Jesus is, then you have to understand what your mission is. And you know what breaks my heart? Is that there are so many fake keys going around in our culture today. So many fake keys. We just talked about them. Success, money, relationship, whatever. People go, oh, I got the key to life and I'm enjoying it. And you know what's even more heartbreaking after we've sold ourselves out to that? Is that there are fake spiritual keys too. Mormonism, Jehovah Witness, uh, um, Islam, Buddhism, all fake keys on the way to get to God. And listen, this is, I hate this. People are convinced because of that, man, I got the key and I'm going to be good. And they're going to die thinking that they've got the key to life and it's not going to work. It's not going to turn the door. And I'm going, man, but we have the real key. Not because we're arrogant and smart. We figured it out because God revealed it to us. Verse 17. And I'm going, if we have the real key and so many people don't have the, why would we not want to go, no, 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 here, like this is Jesus. He's, he'll actually give you life. Life. Like, this is it. You know what I mean? That, that we'd invite people into real relationship with him. Let's give away the real key. And I want to close on the end of verse 18. Jesus goes, 
you Peter on this rock, proclamation of my gospel, I'm going to build my church. It's Jesus's. He's the one building it. And he finishes and he goes, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, I used to think that gates of hell was talking about Satan and his army, and Satan's not going to get in the way of building Jesus' church. He's going to keep it going. And it could mean that. But Old Testament, the gates of hell, the gates of Hades is language that it's used, and it was referring to death. And so he's saying right here, hey, I'm going to build my church, and death won't prevail against it. Death won't win. And can you think of a moment, an instant in our history, in the Bible, where death should have been the end of the church, and it actually was the beginning of it? Jesus' death, right? And then he raised again the church's birth. You go, man, this is so clear. And so the worst case scenario, Jesus died. He's literally promising here, I won't let you, I'm gonna build my church. I'm gonna die, but death's not gonna prevail against me in my kingdom. I'm gonna build my church. Another way to understand this is the worst case scenario isn't gonna slow my church down. I'm gonna keep it going. The gates of hell, whatever you think of, death, whatever. The worst case scenario will not slow my church down from going. Now, friends, I don't know if you're familiar with the Green family in our church. Uh, Kurt and Angie, they've got six beautiful kids. Um, and uh, been a part of our church since the very beginning. And um, faithful parents love Jesus to death. They're just amazing. And uh, Angie, about a year and a half ago, got diagnosed with a rare form of aggressive bladder cancer. And uh, she, we've had her in this room, uh, we've, in the middle of the room, and we've prayed. All You guys stood up, prayed over her. It's beautiful, right, for healing. That God would heal her, take that cancer away. We prayed for her. Um, and so um, at the same time of finding out that she has bladder cancer, also found out they were pregnant with their sixth kid, Okay. And so um, what do you do? Doctors go, if you get chemo, the baby dies. If you don't get chemo, you die. So what do you do? And they felt from God, man, we need to guard this baby. We want to protect the life. We want to care for this baby. It's a real human that we want to care about and see live as our daughter or as our son. And so they have this, they find this uh, kind of rare treatment where it's giving very low dosage of, of chemo and uh, enough to keep the baby safe, but also kind of maintain the cancer. And so little baby Elsie was born. Praise God for that. She's beautiful and has the best mind. We can clap for that. Yeah, I love that. And so little Elsie was born because of their commitment, Angie's strength to say, no, I want this baby to be born and to live a grateful life. And so after that, Angie gets full rounds of chemo. She's going through treatment. She's doing all that. It's going pretty well. And they find out that she has brain tumors, okay? Another punch in the gut, okay? And so uh, she gets surgery to remove some of the tumors and uh, is going through physical therapy, going through all of this. I got to visit them in their home a few weeks ago, a month or two ago, and to see Angie and see her joy to hold her little baby, really, really beautiful. Um, But about a week ago, her health started to decline, and so she went to the intensive care unit, the ICU in the hospital in Omaha, and a lot of us went up to go visit her and to pray for the family and just be surrounding by them. That's one of the ways we just as a family can love each other is just being with each other. You don't have to give any advice. You don't have to say any, just be with each other. So we're up there, and I one of the most astounding things I heard was that when Angie is in the ICU, literally uh, health is declining. She, in uh, the whole time, she's going, we just want Jesus to get the glory from this. She tells the nurse that's taking care of her, I want to see you in heaven. I want to see you in heaven. And so go talk to Kurt. Go talk to my husband. She didn't even have the strength to be able to articulate the full gospel. She just goes, look, I just want to give the key away. Jesus gave it to me. I want to give it away. Go talk to my husband. I want to see you in heaven. On Wednesday night, Angie met Jesus face to face. And we mourn that as a church. I hate that we lost our sister and our friend. 
but we also celebrate God's grace and that heaven looks different because of Angie and that she's in an eternal glory with him right in this moment. And I'm going, listen, hold on. I read this, gates of hell isn't going to stand against it. Death's not going to stop the church from going. On a bed in the ICU with brain tumors and bladder cancer, this woman grew the church. Is that amazing? Yeah, we can clap for that. If we could live like Angie died, our city would look different. The world would look different. And more importantly, heaven would look different. Amen? And she just went, I'm a normal, ordinary person. She didn't work in ministry. She just went, I got the key to life in Jesus, and I want to give it away to everyone I know. The church isn't going to slow down. What if we were a church that actually believed that? I mean, seriously, think about that for a moment. If we built our church around one truth, if you built your life around the one truth of the gospel, that Jesus Christ came to save broken sinners like you and me, and we told everyone we know. Imagine if you could live a life where you could say, there isn't a person in my life that I haven't tried to offer that key to. Again, city would look different. World would look different. And most importantly, heaven would look different. City Light, we got some keys to give away. Amen? Let's get after it. Jesus isn't done. Let's pray.